You are listening to The Overwhelmed Brain. Today's episode is brought to you by GetOutOfTheMess.com. Get quality attorneys at established law firms for about $20 a month. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Welcome to The Overwhelmed Brain. I am your host, personal empowerment coach, Paul Coliani. I am here to help you increase your emotional intelligence, strengthen your self-worth and self-esteem, and empower you so that you can make decisions that are right for you. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult your physician before making any changes to your medical treatment. All right, we're going to get into something that's a listener named Simon suggested. It's a great suggestion. He said, uh, you know, once you get your relationship back on track, how do you keep it there without having it slip into old destructive patterns? So I think that's a great question to ask and uh, to cover for a topic today because many relationships go through their ups and downs. And the problem is that we go up and then we go back down again because we get into old patterns. We slip into old uh, dysfunctions. Uh, one or both partners are triggered by something that has happened in the past and continues to happen because the trigger is still fresh inside them. In my marriage, when I was married, uh, I was triggered by my wife's behavior. It wasn't her fault. It was just my trigger. And uh, every time she did certain behavior, I got triggered. So I would give her the silent treatment. I would withdraw love from her. I would sulk. I was I was basically being emotionally abusive. I didn't know I was emotionally abusive back then. Now that I do know, I don't do those things, but um they were effective to me because I felt like I was making her feel bad. And if she felt bad, I believed that she would change her behavior. And one of the biggest deceptions and misunderstandings in relationships when you are having any type of uh, trouble like that, where one of you gets angry and one of you crosses your arms and is quiet and doesn't want to talk to the other person or sulks like I did or mopes around the house for hours or even days on end, is we think that we're going to change their behavior. We think that our behavior our misbehavior, our dysfunctional behavior will somehow make our partner realize that their behavior is causing us stress. And uh, they may realize that, but at the same time, the things that we do to make them see that they're causing us stress usually make the situation worse. Like nowadays, I would much rather have an (laughs) all-out verbal brawl Uh, about a subject, about an argument that we're having than for one of us to go silent and not say anything. I would rather have my girlfriend yell at me, tell me that she hates me, uh, threaten to leave me because she's so sick of my behavior so I have something to work with so that it's out on the table and we can work with it. We have data that we can do something with. What does a computer do when you give it no data? Nothing. It does nothing. That's how the human brain works. That's how we operate. We need data to work with. Now, how can we mess up our behavior? That's a bad way to put it. How can we do dysfunctional behavior that causes problems in our relationship? We give the other person faulty data, either no data, faulty data, or manipulated data. What do I mean by that? I mean, you don't tell them the truth or at least enough of the truth to work with. Like um, sometimes you'll have thoughts or feelings like, why am I in this relationship? But we'd never say that. 
or some of us, would never say that. Like, why am I in this relationship? You know, there's a reason you'd say that because X, Y, Z, because you don't respect me, because you're dishonest with me, because this, because this, because that. But when we're able to actually express what's really happening, the truth of what's happening, and then say, uh, it makes me question about being in this relationship, not as a threat, but as an actual thought being expressed to your partner, then you have something to work with. It hurts. And I'm not saying that this is exactly what you should do. This is actually an extreme example. I'm saying that you start connecting with more truth inside of you, expressing that truth, and allowing the other person to deal with it as they may. Some people can't handle it. That's what happens, right? We have a partner that we know can't handle the truth. So you can't handle the truth. I was just thinking about that movie. But (laughs) that's what happens. It's like we withhold our truth to our partner so that they don't react, so that they don't overreact and leave, so that they don't hurt us back. Maybe they'll smack us. I hope not. But maybe they'll get so angry because of that truth. Or maybe they'll be so saddened by the truth. At least that's how we perceive it. And so we never say our truth. We never say our peace. We never become honest and be a person that can just express what's truly on our mind because of our fears of how our partner will respond and react. And I'm here to say that I've behaved both ways. I've behaved giving my partner only what I believed they should hear. I've, um, I guess it's more than both ways. I've, I've responded to my partner in ways that I believed would be least uh, hurtful, least offensive. And I've also responded in ways that is downright honest and maybe shocking to them. My former self would behave in people-pleasing ways. Like, oh, I don't want to you know, cause any problems, so I'll just say it this way to have the least amount of impact in our relationship and have the least amount of confrontation in our relationship. That's what happens a lot. We don't want to confront. We don't want conflict. So we minimize that and we say something other than our full truth. But I've tried this. I've tried just eliminating my fear and addressing issues uh, in a direct way. I don't want to say confrontational way, but it's definitely direct. You know, this is what's happening in me. This is what I think. It's like the beginning of um, my current relationship. Uh, When we started, there were a lot of times where she would withhold what was happening inside of her and give me uh, the silent treatment, give me just avoid talking to me, even looking at me. And it would drive me crazy because it, it, it could go on for days or weeks. I even had it go on for two months once. And I think after that two-month period, I, I had enough. <laughs> I was like, this cannot continue. Whatever's happening inside of you, I feel like I'm not loved. I feel like I don't even exist here. You don't even give me eye contact. And I said the words, I don't even know why I'm in this relationship. Because that rang true for me. I don't know why I'm in this relationship. Why would I want to be with someone, and I did say this, why would I want to be with someone who ignores me when I walk in the door? Why would I want to be with someone who can't even look at me, who can't say that she loves me, that doesn't want to kiss me? I mean, there were little things that happened in the beginning of our relationship. And when I said that stuff, it was a real surprise to her. And suddenly she was like, oh no, what are you saying? You're going to leave me? And I told her, no, I, I just, I want to express this because I don't know what's going on in you. And I feel like I'm being left behind. Whatever's going on inside of you, I feel so distanced from you. Like you're emotionally disconnected. Well, I tell you what, that truth led to a whole new relationship. The truth that I expressed to her led to an entirely different way of communicating and relating to each other. Because it came down to me expressing that I don't like when she withholds. I told her, don't withhold even if you believe what you have to say to me will hurt me. Don't withhold even if you believe that you have to yell at me to get it out. I said, I don't care how you tell me, 
but you cannot keep it in. Because when you keep it in, I feel like you don't care about me. I feel like I don't even exist. And I hate that feeling. And I never want to feel that. And she goes, it, I think I get it. And I'm scared to do that. I'm scared to express to you what's really going on. I, I've, I've never done that before. It's always been unsafe for me to do that. And I was like, okay, I, I get that. You know, you've been with people that have made you feel unsafe. But you have to come to the point where you trust me enough to be able to express yourself. Otherwise, I'm leaving. <laughs> I said this, but not in those exact words. But I expressed to her, I don't want to be with someone who emotionally disconnects with me for days or weeks at a time. I can't do it. I don't have it in me. I'm, I'm not that type of person. She got it. She goes, all right, so you're saying that I should just express myself directly no matter how much it angers you or upsets you? And I was like, yes, <laughs> at least we have something to work with. Let's do it that way. And she goes, okay, because <laughs> she was very hesitant because she's never done that. And then um, I don't know how long it was, weeks or months later, we got into something and she felt like she should pull back again. However, she decided not to. She said, you know how you said you wanted me to tell you things even at the cost of you being hurt or angry? And I was like, yeah. She goes, well, I, I want to tell you something. And I figure what she said, you know, something you said yesterday really upset me and I, it made me feel like, you know, whatever she said, like I didn't love her, didn't respect her. And I was like, oh, you know, thank you for telling me this. I didn't mean that at all. I'm sorry that it came across that way. I definitely didn't mean that. And she goes, oh, you, you didn't mean it that way? And I was like, no, no not, not at all. What I meant was this. And we talked about it a little bit and she goes, oh, and then it was resolved. She felt better. And she said, you know, I didn't think that would work. <laughs> Expressing to you what was going on inside of me. And I, and I was like, well, I want it to work. I want to be able to do this with you so that neither one of us feel disconnected emotionally. I want to keep that connection. You are a person that I want to feel safe with expressing my true self with. I want to be that person for you too. And she goes, I will continue to practice that. And uh, she has ever since that time, ever since that day, I, I just spoke up and said, I don't want to be in this relationship with someone who cannot express to me what's going on inside of them or something like that. And she got it. And since then, we've been able to talk more openly, more freely. And it's been a huge relief uh, for both of us. At least now, when she's disconnected, I can speak right up and just say, hey, you're being distant. What's going on? And she'll tell me. And it's great. That's where I want everyone to be. And some relationships aren't like that. Some relationships don't do that. I've, I didn't do that for many, many years. But I made it a rule in this relationship. At least for me. You know, I didn't say that she must follow this rule or I'm going to discipline her or anything like that. I made it my rule. And I told her, if you cannot follow this rule, then I can't stay here. It was very me-focused, me-oriented, um, even though she would have to, I guess, comply with my demand. I hate to say it like that, but that's what it seems like when I talk like this, is that my rule is this. If you can't express yourself, then I can't stay with somebody who disconnects. That, to me, is a fair thing because it works both ways. That means I can express myself to her, she can express myself, herself to me, and at least it's all out on the table. We can work with it, and it may be hard at times, it may be hugely challenging at times, but we get through it, and always our bond strengthens. Always. I, I have not yet seen it once not strengthen, because we both want the relationship to work. How can it work? You get past the hard stuff together. When it doesn't work, when you can't get past the hard stuff... Maybe the hard stuff is too hard. Maybe it's uh, violating values or boundaries. Then you find out if you can survive that. I mean, some relationships can't. And some relationships, honestly, shouldn't. Some relationships shouldn't survive the uh, hard stuff that violate boundaries and values. Some relationships won't survive the affair. Some relationships won't survive any type of deception or betrayal. because. You're going to hit the boundary that is unacceptable to the other person 
eventually if you are doing things that are very selfish, that are very self-centered, and you don't consider your partner's feelings. It's just going to happen. And so when you're not considering or they're not considering your feelings, a relationship may not survive that. At least in a relationship where you are upfront with each other and direct with each other, and you both actually have good intentions for each other, and you both actually support each other's happiness and love and support and nurture the other person, that kind of relationship has that bigger picture, that bigger umbrella of um, the love support model. And that kind of relationship can usually survive almost anything. So anyway, I have this list that I created. And like I said, uh, a listener named Simon suggested that I go over uh, what it takes to keep a relationship together, especially after going through some hard times, whether that is like lots of fighting, lots of disagreements, or even breakups. And now you get back together and it's like, how do we stay out of old habits, out of old dysfunction and make sure we're on the right path for each other? And uh, I said a lot of things in this first segment that have to do with continuing along a good path, but I'm going to give you my bullet list coming up on how to stay on the right track with your relationship right after this. Just a quick message for getoutofthemess.com. Asha is a representative for Legal Shield. She created this website called getoutofthemess.com, and it's your uh, portal to Legal Shield. What is it? Uh, Legal Shield is a, a service that you have access to attorneys, real attorneys, and real law firms in your state or province. Yes, this is only US or Canada, but uh, this gives you information. This is what Asha calls a legal insurance plan. And Asha recommends that you get into this plan if you have ever felt bullied or just didn't have the information you needed to make your case, whether that's in a courtroom or in the home or in business or whatever, where somebody doesn't believe you or you need to prove something or disprove something, but you need guidance. You know, that's what we pay attorneys for, right, is legal guidance. Uh, but they can be expensive. You know, attorneys can be 200, 250, 300, 350, or more an hour, where Legal Shield allows you to uh, ask questions of attorneys as many times as you want throughout your subscription. So I highly recommend this service. Go to getoutofthemess.com or call Asha and find out if this service is right for you. 678-355-8777. All right, we're back with the list of my suggestions on how to keep your relationship on track. So this is for those of you who want your relationship to grow, to get closer, so you can be uh, more loving and more um, kind (laughs) to each other and actually happy to see each other. This list is for those of you who may have had trouble in your relationship and really want to make sure that now that you're back together or now that it's on the up-end swing, that uh, you keep it that way. So here we go. It's not all-inclusive. In fact, I may even ask you to send me uh, your own suggestions as well. But here are 10 of them that uh, may help you out. Are you ready? Number one is never bury the emotionally challenging stuff. This is something I I mentioned in the last segment where if there's something inside of you that is really angers you or really upsets you or makes you sad or something, something very sensitive, don't bury it. It needs to come out. It needs to be expressed. This is like um, every time my first long-term girlfriend and I got into an argument, I would feel anger, but I would swallow that anger instead of express it. And um, like I said before, I don't want the silent treatment in the relationship anymore. I don't want something called stonewalling where every attempt that she makes to connect with me, I just cut her off. I just shut it down. I don't want any communication. 
I think it's very important to not bury the emotionally challenging stuff. There are exceptions. If you've talked about it to death and it always hurts when you talk about it, then maybe you need someone, a facilitator, a coach, a therapist to help you through it. But for the most part, it's best to address this stuff when it comes up. If you're in the argument, if you're in the heated moment and you are feeling angry, say it. I'm feeling very angry. Everyone has a right to express that, uh, what's happening inside of them. There may be some old triggers in there and it may bring up some more stuff, but this is just one of many that I'm going to go over today. uh, And I recommend that you practice it every now and then. Doesn't mean you have to just open the gates and allow the floodwaters to come in. You just practice this every now and then. You know what? I'm going to, this time I'm going to express what's really going on inside of me. I usually lock it up, but this time I'm going to express it. And you test the waters. You find out how safe it is to express it. You may find out that it's not safe. If you find out that after you express something that it's not safe and you're hurt even worse and your partner doesn't allow you to express yourself at that level, then you have a realization about your partner, about your relationship that you can do something with. It's data you can work with. Number two is if you need time to process it, do it for no longer than a day or two. Like I said earlier, my girlfriend would sometimes go days or weeks not talking about what was on her mind. She needed to process. She needed to process. That goes right back to to number one. Don't bury this stuff. Express it. Bring it out. Let's talk about it. Let's put it on the table. Give me something to work with. I know what processing is all about. I've done it a long time where you find out some piece of information, you don't know what to do with it, and you know if you bring it up, it's going to cause a lot of trouble. It's going to cause an argument or whatever. Uh, Or you just still don't know what it means if this piece of information is true. Like, what am I going to do if this is true? What does this mean? And it's just vital that you either bring it up right away or talk about it with someone else, but not to let it fester. Letting it fester is causing the rift to get in between you and your partner. And every time you do this, that rift gets larger and larger. So even even when you finally reveal what's been on your mind, you, there's still a rift. It's like left over. And then when it happens again, that rift gets wider and wider. That's dangerous for a relationship's longevity. All right, let's go to number three. Number three, don't expect your partner to change. This is a tough one. (laughs) This is something I've struggled with all my life. I always wanted my partner to change. But your focus on your partner changing simply delays your own uh, healing and growth. If you don't like how they are, you can certainly express it, but you don't want to spend your time and energy focused on what they need to do to suit your needs. Spend your time and energy on what you need to do to become self-caring and loving. If you truly don't like their behavior, it's not up to them to change for you. It's up to you to accept their path and continue the relationship or not accept their path and get out of it. Again, you still talk about it. You still express it because sometimes people have behavior that they don't even know they're doing. Uh, For example, I spent my entire marriage waiting for her to change. You know, if she would just stop eating junk food, then we'd both be happy. I spent more time obsessed with her behavior then invested in my own journey of healing and growth. When I started focusing on myself, my judgments about her stopped. I still had feelings to deal with, but I knew they were mine. I still had things to look at in myself, but they were all about me. They weren't reliant on her changing. So don't expect your partner to change. Work on yourself, either becoming more accepting and loving and tolerant of behavior Unless it's a violation of your boundaries or values, then you have to treat that differently. But, um, you know, if they love country music and you don't, are you going to judge them every time they turn on a country song? Or, you know, that's just a minor example. But um, how can you support their path? How can you support their happiness? The way to do it is not by changing them, but by focusing on you and supporting them. This can go a bit deeper and complex, but I'm going to continue moving on because I have a few more on the list to uh, talk about today. Number four is get over their past. In other words, the only behavior that matters is what you see today and from this point on. If you look at your partner and you can't stand that they had 
sex with so-and-so or took too many drugs or got arrested for robbing a store or whatever. You'll have an even harder time accepting any of their positive attributes today. Now again, that doesn't mean you have to accept any behavior that's against your values or your boundaries. If your partner robbed a bank and hurt people, you may not be able to get past that. It's possible that you can be so appalled by someone's past behavior that you can't look beyond it. If that's the case, you need to get out of the relationship because you won't be happy. My point is that people should be judged on what they do today. Now, if they're a former felon and they want to rob banks today, you have every right to judge them and tell yourself to get away from them if you don't like it. And you don't like it, then you have every right to judge them and tell yourself to get away from them. You can tell them, that's not the lifestyle I want to live. It's not compatible with what I want. And then they can choose to change or not. But if they don't want to change, leave them be. Walk away. You don't have to agree with what they're saying. You just don't have to stick around to continually disagree with their choice of behavior. All right, after you get over their past, number five is to get over your past. And what I mean is if you're holding on to any guilt or resentment or regrets, but mostly guilt, it's typically is to apologize once and mean it. Because if you feel like you have to apologize over and over for the same thing, then uh, maybe you didn't mean all those other apologies. I know that's uh, kind of (laughs) cold-hearted. But uh, when you mean an apology, when you're really serious about it, you should only have to say it once. Now, the exception to this is when you've done any type of betrayal. If you've cheated or lied in a big way, you may have to apologize repeatedly for months. This is because you've earned, I hate to say this, a bit of suffering, and it will help the other person feel better. An example of that is a partner who slips up, cheats, didn't mean it, feels guilty, and will absolutely never do it again. I worked with a client that I had to get off the apology thing so that they could move forward. This person was apologizing almost every day and sulking and they felt really bad because they believed they should feel bad. They believed they should suffer because they lied, they cheated. So they were uh, punishing themselves and by apologizing and continuing to feel bad about it and their partner seeing how bad they felt, the partner also got some satisfaction from it too. But When I told this person to just apologize and really mean it from the bottom of your heart, as long as you're promising that you'll never do this again and you're ready for a fresh start and you want to move forward with this, just apologize once, get past it, and move on. You know, often a hurt partner, the one who's the victim, wants their partner to suffer because of their suffering. I'm going to keep you suffering. I want you to keep apologizing because it'll make me feel just a little bit better because I'm still suffering because of what you did. I see that time and time again, and there has to be an expiration to that. There has to be a time limit. If the the person who feels guilty, who feels shame, who feels anything like that, uh, holds on to it and never moves beyond it, and their partner continues to make sure they never move beyond it, then the relationship never gets better. It, it usually gets worse, actually, because the pain from whatever happened uh, continues to be in both of their faces, comes up time and time again. So the idea is, let's get past this. If this person is never going to do that wrong thing again, then apologize, mean it with all your heart, and get past it. So that's number five. Get over your past. When we come back... We'll go over 6 through 10. Be right back. All right, 1 through 5. So far, we have talked about... Let me recall it here Uh, number one is never bury the emotionally challenging stuff number two is if you need time to process do it for no longer than a day or two number three is don't expect your partner to change number four is get over their past and number five is get over your past let's go to number six this is uh, the 10 ways to keep your 
relationship on track, especially after it has uh, run into trouble, especially after you've, you've had your arguments. Maybe you've had breakups, and now you want to keep it on track. Now that it's back uh, and things are going somewhat well, how can they stay well? How can they get better? Number six is pay attention to what's important to your partner and encourage and support the journey they are on. I've touched on this, but let's talk about it again. If they love dancing ballet and you hate it, don't put them down and talk badly about it. Give them a ride to the studio and watch them dance every now and then. And that might be really hard to do if you hate ballet. (laughs) But that's supporting your partner. You're not supporting uh, what you don't like. You're supporting what they like. And um, the idea is to be happy about their happiness about what they're doing. Now, you don't support their path to your own deficit. Meaning, if they want to convert the house into a ballet studio and you want the house to stay neutral for you or anyone else that comes over, there may be some issues. The person who wants to uh, change the house into a ballet studio and the other person doesn't like it, sounds like there isn't enough um, equality and maybe even some compromise on both sides. It's like one person's going to make it and the other person doesn't support it. And um, there's not enough balance there. So there's going to be some deficit. I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm not saying you shouldn't do things like this. Like maybe you can eventually agree that, hey, if we had it as a ballet studio, then we can invite more people over. We'd have more room. There might be other benefits to it. But if the other person's wholly against it, then one person going that route might cause a, a rift in the relationship. So it is harder to support someone's path when your life is so affected by it as well. For example, if their path uh, involves going out to dinner once a week to a Brazilian steakhouse, but you're a vegetarian and they make fun of you for not eating meat, that could drain you. You can support them in their path to be a meat eater, but they also must reciprocate in kind by supporting your path to be a vegetarian. The point is, if you both can't find it in you to support the other person's happiness, you'll find the relationship deteriorating. So pay attention to what's important to them and encourage and support the journey they're on. Number seven is follow your own healing path. You know, we were talking about this list being about um, how to keep a relationship on track, especially after a breakup. This is very important to follow your own healing path. This is where you acknowledge that you played a role in the troubles and now you're going to follow your own path to healing and growth. Now you can talk about and you can even grow together as long as you have your own me time for healing and growth. The reason is it's vital that you're able to uh, inflect, reflect, and uh, gain enlightenment on your own so that it can never be at the control or influence of someone else. When you do this, when you take your own me time to do all of uh, your own inflecting and reflecting and gaining enlightenment, you bring the best version of you into the relationship, not the version of you that they unconsciously shape you to be. I mean, there are subtle ways that we influence our partners to conform to a way of being that uh, we find acceptable. And this can actually diminish them as a person where they're not able to show up uh, to the relationship as authentic and genuine. The more I manipulated my wife, the more covert and deceptive that she had to become with me. After all, she didn't want to get the wrath of my judgment, so she would hide behaviors from me. And even though we were doing personal growth together, because we both influenced each other and were also each other's triggers, we could never meet as the true individuals we were and wanted to be. So it's vital, in my opinion, to follow your own path of healing. That doesn't mean you don't go to couples therapy when it's time, but maybe you should have your own therapist too. Maybe you should have your own coaching. Maybe you should have your own meditation time, your own self-help, your own reflection, inflection, and uh, personal empowerment time. That's all vital so that you are not under any other influence but what comes up in your own head by your own thoughts from your own influence. As soon as you introduce the element of them as an influence, then you're being exposed to things outside of you, which can alter how you heal. All right, let's go to number eight. 
Number eight is don't make sex all about sex. I've talked about this before, but it's vital that this gets through. I hear this over and over again. There's always like some sexual problem in a relationship where sex is supposed to be a wonderful time to connect and be yourself and just be free. But some of the problems I hear are my partner's selfish. They only want what they want. Um, We're afraid to talk about sex. Uh, When we get into the bedroom, we're silent. We don't emote. We don't talk. I've heard all kinds of things when it comes to sex. My thought on sex is always make it about connection, both physical and emotional. The physical and emotional connection is vital. A lot of people say, well, men are more physical and women are more emotional. We're both both. We just emphasize one over the other. But the problem is when you make sex purely physical, that will typically mean the more emotional partner will want to do it less. You need to connect emotionally as well. Or if one of you makes it more emotional, that means the person who is more physical may also want to do it less. Not likely. <laughs> it can happen, though. If there's not an emotional connection, even though they're more, more of a physical person, it would be nice for them to feel that emotional connection as well. It's both, though. You emphasize both. If you go into it with more emphasis on one more often than not, then it tends to get one-sided and one person tends to want it less. From what I've seen, if there's any trouble in the bedroom, it's uh, typically because there's some sort of unnecessary pressure of some sort. If your partner doesn't want sex one night and you do, and they expect you to want it, so they lay there hoping that you don't ask, but they know you'll ask, and, and they'll feel uncomfortable talking about it, but they give in anyway because, well, they know you want it, but that builds resentment in them because you didn't care or ask about their needs, and they know if they can get it out of the way, then they can just go to sleep. You know, you get the picture. The pressure that builds up when you're unable to talk about sex can lead to uh, uh, resentment and underlying upset. So this is where I would suggest, you know, if you have any trouble talking about sex, uh, I suggest a little trick that you can do with your partner. You can trick them into thinking that you want sex, but instead rub their feet or rub their back or run them a bath or put in a movie or gasp, snuggle, (laughs) and let them know at a deep level that you really just want to be with them and connect with them, even if it doesn't involve sex. Doing this every now and then to break the old pattern of, uh, uh uh-oh, it's sex time and I don't want it, that will help you create a new pattern of, sometimes I give them a back rub and sometimes we have sex and sometimes we snuggle or whatever. Now, this doesn't work for the person who always wants sex. This is a bit more challenging. If one of you wants sex and the other doesn't, there will be sacrifices. The person who wants sex more is going to want it, regardless of the back rub. (laughs) These suggestions are more for the person who doesn't really want sex. The person who wants sex might be making a sacrifice, you know, by giving a back rub or snuggling or whatever, even though that might be a ridiculously overstated way to say it. But sexual drive is powerful, and it can be very dominating in a sexually driven person. The person who who doesn't want sex could choose to give sex to their partner or not, but the person who wants sex needs to give in and sacrifice and rub rub your partner's back or their legs or their feet all without expectation you got to turn off the expectations and even say, I love you and good night without waiting for them to say, hey, that felt good. Thank you. Let's have sex. Because that defeats the purpose of taking the pressure off of them. Remember, think about what's important to them. If sex isn't important to them in that moment, then make the night or day or whenever it is comfortable for them in a different way. The idea behind this isn't to take sex away. It's to actually enhance, uh, amplify, and even increase the encounters that you have with each other. The problem is uh, the pressure. What kind of pressure is building? 
if you're both in bed and one of you really wants it and your partner knows that you really want it, but they don't want it, that builds pressure. So I like to break the ice. If I know my partner doesn't want it, then I'll rub her feet. I'll rub her back. I'll snuggle with her. I'll do something else. Of course, I'm able to communicate with my partner and um, be more, I don't know, how can I say this, uh, forward. (laughs) But at the same time, if I'm forward and she says she's not interested, then I'm like, hey, that's no problem. I understand completely. You know, I'm a partner that will absolutely understand and do something else. But I don't make it pressure like, oh, no sex tonight. I just don't do that. I won't do that. Because then she'll be thinking about it next time. And it makes me look like an unsafe partner. The person who doesn't want sex as much really wants to know it's safe to say no. Now, if sex is an issue and there's, and there's always tension and you hardly ever have it, if ever, you know, there are other problems about sex, then that's a different subject. It needs to be discussed, you know, maybe in another episode or with a counselor or whatever. But uh, sex is one of those very intimate things that I think is important in almost any romantic relationship. And uh, when there's tension or pressure or anything about it that gets in the way, that can affect the entire relationship. So uh, my point is don't make sex all about sex. And eventually sex will be better. It will feel better and may even happen more frequently if it's happening infrequently now. It's a matter of just taking the pressure off. How can I take the pressure off? All right, let's go on. Number nine. Number nine is drop the commentary on minutia. For example, my girlfriend can sometimes be very particular about things, especially when she is tired and hungry. (laughs) She can pick apart an innocent comment and find everything wrong with something that I'm doing. It doesn't happen often, but when it does, I can see that she's mired in minutia and that no matter what I say, she's going to find something to criticize about. Now, I'm a little evil because I know what she's doing and uh, I can poke at her a little bit when she's doing it, but I also find it frustrating at times because she'll be stuck on every single problem instead of just letting it all go and see that uh, in the grand scheme of things, life isn't as bad as all the details that she's embroiled in. All the complaints she has really have nothing to do with the bigger picture of just being with someone you love and getting through life, sharing experiences. Um, An example of that is a debate I had a long time ago with a friend of mine. And um, I knew I was right. He knew he was right. And I told him, I guarantee I'm right. And I even made a bet with him. I guarantee you I'm right. I wanted to prove him wrong so bad. But it wasn't a fun, ha ha, I told you so, and we could laugh bet. It was going to be like a, you're so stupid bet, I told you so. (laughs) and you know that would have put him in his place so after a few minutes back and forth uh, after this bet I uh, felt this sick feeling in my stomach I felt sick because I had just relegated our friendship from hanging out together and enjoying each other's time to proving that I was right I was attached to being right to the point that I wanted him to feel bad this was starting to really hit me I realized what I had done and I decided to go into defeat. And I told him, you know what? It's not important. I'm sorry I debated this with you. I don't really care who's right. I'd rather just forget about it. And uh, he looked at me and he goes, oh, well, you know, that's fine. And um, I forget what he said after that, but uh, suddenly all this weight was lifted off of me. I mean, I stepped out of all the irrelevant details that didn't contribute at all to the big picture of our friendship. And I just let it go. That's why I sometimes just drop my attachment to being right. I drop the minutiae. I drop the details. Because I look at the big picture and I go, you know what? This relationship is more important to me than being right about this subject. Or being right that I left the toilet seat down or not. I would just rather play defeat and go, you know what? It's possible I did it. It's possible I didn't. I don't care. I love you. I would rather just be happy with you. If I'm wrong about that, I will certainly pay attention to it next time. But it's in the past, and I will move forward with a better understanding of you know what I need to pay attention to. But is it really important that I prove myself right 
I didn't leave the toilet seat up. You know, I'm just making a minor example. I'm actually quite well trained there. <laughs> but you get the picture. You don't want to continually be embroiled in all the details that are nitpicky and, and like want to get out of that. Because what's the big picture? What do you really want in the end? I like to look at it this way. If the world's going to end tomorrow, am I going to be stuck on this little pointless argument that we're on? Or do I really want to enjoy these last 24 hours with you? So whenever you feel yourself getting uh, enmeshed in all these little niggling details, pull yourself out and go, you know, what's the big picture here? What's more important than all of this? This really helps uh, with a relationship. Not, not everyone can do it. It's very hard. You have to get out of trigger mode. You're very subconscious about things that are going on. Uh, but do your best to make yourself conscious and you know, step out of that. All right, let's go to number 10. Number 10 is going to be the tough one. <laughs> Got to save the tough for last. Always give your partner room to vent about you. It's that safe zone. This is the hardest step in my opinion, but uh, try to think of it this way. Negative emotions get trapped in the body until they're released in some way through expression or some sort. Now, if that sounds uh, hokey or new age, then let me ask you this question. Where do you feel anger? Where do you feel sadness? Where do you feel shame, disgust, or guilt? See, when I have these feelings, I can almost pinpoint where I feel them in my body. When I held on to my anger, I had stomach pain. I could feel my stomach burning. I actually had issues. I had to go to the doctor because I held on to anger. All of these emotions give you feelings somewhere in your body. In fact, I'd be willing to bet, and this is going to sound a little preposterous, but I'm going to try it anyway. <laughs> if you didn't feel the emotion physically, it couldn't exist. It might be a stretch for some people, but I think that if you don't have the feeling, then you can't have the emotion. I say that because, um, well, here, try this. I just talked about this with a client the other day. Uh, I want you to close your eyes and don't make any expression whatsoever. And the way you do that is you um, relax all the muscles around your eyes, around your cheeks, around your mouth, on your forehead. Just relax all those muscles so you feel no tension, no stress. Now, in this state, do you feel an emotion at all? Now, I want you to be aware of what's happening to you. If you start to feel an emotion, does your face change at all? Do you feel any tension or stress in your face? The reason I ask is because if you were to feel sad, most likely your face is going to change. Something is going to shift on your face somewhere, even if it's minute. But when I try this, and I have a completely blank expression, and I'm using no muscles, I don't, I don't feel any stress or tension in my face at all, it's hard for me to feel emotions. Now, this isn't just uh, my opinion. This has been proven in a way where um, they took people with uh, Botox injections that had trouble moving parts of their face. And they actually said that they didn't feel certain emotions as strong as they did before. If they weren't able to smile as much, they actually couldn't feel uh, whatever made them smile, happiness or joy, uh, as much as they could before. And I was thinking, is there like a, a connection between our expressions and emotions, like direct, where if we don't make the expression, we don't feel the emotion? I don't think that's always true. We've all learned how to have a blank face and feel something inside. But I, I still wanted to experiment with it. So I started testing it. You know, when I feel sad, what happens when I don't contort my face into a sad expression? What happens if I leave it blank? What happens if I just have this very plain face, no expression, no tension, no stress whatsoever? Does that sadness feel the same? Does it change? Does it diminish? And almost every time it's diminished, at least for me. You know, I can't say this works for everyone, but I do notice that our physiology 
shifts with our emotional state. It uh, changes. So this is leading to the venting, you know, giving your partner room to vent about you. I know, how does this connect? Well, let's put it this way. I believe that if negative emotions in the body are trapped until they're released through some sort of expression, then your physiology and your physicality are bound to change. And what that means is that the emotions may disappear and the way you behaved and the way you think also change. What I mean by that is that let's just say that you are really upset with your partner. You, you even might hate them for what they did or what they said. You might take this hatred and swallow it or punch a pillow or lash out at your kids or other people or coworkers, but you never express it to your partner because you don't feel safe to do so. But if your partner allowed you to express it to them, I can't believe you did this to me. After all these years, you said this and you did that. How come you don't respect me? How come this? How come that? And get it all out. And your partner lets you vent it all, saying things that you know would normally trigger them. If you get all of it out, you're going to notice something different inside of you. There's going to be a release, typically. And that release changes your thoughts. It changes how you feel. This is the basis for a lot of what I teach, is that once you are able to get it out of you, once that inner emotion is expressed externally, then the behavior that you were going to do before, you may not do. It just may not happen. If you wanted to punch somebody in the face for 20 years, and you were able to express to them and vent to them and tell them how you feel, suddenly that behavior to want to punch them might disappear completely. Changing who you are, changing what you think. It's like the emotions that we hold on to drive our behavior. But our behavior and our thoughts and what we really believe could change if we're able to express what's going on inside of us. So if your partner lets you vent whatever it is inside of you and you see it as just a venting instead of taking it personally, you may find that you can get past it and they can get beyond it so that you can start fresh and leave that in the past. It doesn't have to be addressed anymore because it's finally vented out. This also takes practice to give your partner that safe place to express, to let them be whoever they want to be and say whatever they want to say without fear of repercussion, without fear of you getting all defensive and triggered and saying, well, you never treated me right either, you know, whatever your defense might be. If you don't jump into that and you just stay quiet, let them vent, and then when they're finally done, you thank them. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Thank you. And they go, what? You're not yelling back at me? You're not defending yourself? Suddenly they feel heard. Suddenly they feel important. They feel validated. And many times, very often, their thoughts about you change. It might go from I hate you to I love you more than anything. I've seen this happen. It's happened to me. All of these emotions had thoughts attached to them. But when the emotions are gone, those thoughts can disappear too. And you can develop new beliefs and new perceptions about your partner and about life in general. But we often don't get to that point. We're often in the middle of the argument, getting triggered and trying to make our point and proving ourselves right and proving them wrong. We get stuck in it and we get sucked into the vortex of despair as our argument gets worse and heated. And then we finally go to bed mad and we never get over it because we never talk about it for weeks or months. And then we finally talk about it again. And then it's all unproductive all over again. But imagine if you gave your partner room to vent about you. It is a hard step, but it can have amazing results if you can both do it. Now, you may want to vent back, but I don't recommend you do it until it's safe, until you've given them their time. It might be the next day. It could be in the next hour, but uh, they need to be prepared. They need to have gotten their stuff out first. And maybe that'll bring your relationship to a whole new level. But um, that's my list. And there's so much more I can expound on each and every one, but, you know, we don't have time for that. <laughs> I hope your relationship gets better and stronger and more intimate 
more bonding, more loving, more nurturing, so that you can keep it and grow closer and bring the best you you can to each other. I appreciate you. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank today's sponsor, GetOutOfTheMess.com. If you want access to legal advice and guidance, but don't want to pay all those exorbitant attorney fees just to make a phone call, (laughs) contact Asha, a Legal Shield independent associate, and ask her if this service would be a good fit for you. If you're in the U.S. or Canada, you can reach her at 678-355-8777, or visit her at the website getoutofthemess.com. And if you listen to this show because you want to feel empowered, maybe because your power is being taken away in your relationship, it might be time to look into the MEAN workbook. The MEAN workbook will help you assess just what's going on. I've met so many people that didn't realize they were in an emotionally abusive relationship until they heard specific episodes of this show. And then I've connected with even more that uh, took the mean test in the workbook and found out that their partner showed all the symptoms and were able to check off each behavior one by one until they formed a bigger picture of what was happening in their relationship and what was happening to them especially. So if your friends and family see a much different side of your partner than you do, or if you find it incredibly difficult to get your emotional needs met by your partner, it might be time to get the number one emotional abuse evaluation system out there. Go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash mean and learn the truth and get your power back. The mean workbook will help you regain trust in yourself and love for yourself. And I want to thank the patron members. Go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com if you want to support the show or if you want to join the patron program. It's kind of one and the same thing. Once you join, you are supporting the show. And uh, that is definitely helpful for us to keep going on and doing what we're doing over here. But you get private episodes, uh, workbooks, and even email coaching if you choose to do so. That's patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. And I'd like to thank current patron members and former patron members for their amazing support. And if you're using the Amazon button at theoverwhelmedbrain.com, that is another way to support the show. And I appreciate you. Keep using that Amazon button every time you shop. And it uh, sends us a few pennies on the dollar each and every time your shopping habits are making a difference. And finally, I want to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain. And I almost forgot I should mention this. I've uh, created a Facebook group that I've called The Overwhelmed Brain Empowerment Group. Did I call it that? Uh, Let me check. (laughs) I think I called it that. Uh, Let's see. The Overwhelmed Brain Empowerment Group. Yes, I did. So um, I created this group sort of to connect like-minded people. And um, people who listen to this show, you're all very like-minded. The, the things I teach here are like a um, planet of information. I'm not saying it's all the right information <laughs> or all the best information. It's just a planet of information. And then people gravitate toward this planet of information and they orbit it, they land on it, they uh, like it or they don't, they leave uh, or they stay and they keep listening. But I want to kind of congregate people that listen to this show. And if you want to, you can join the Overwhelmed Brain Empowerment Group on Facebook. So just look that up, the Overwhelmed Brain Empowerment Group. And it's, a, like I said, a public group. I'm going to show up every now and then and um, chat with you in there when I get a chance And I also want you to meet like-minded people and make friends and connect and ask questions and uh, maybe talk about the stuff that we talk about on the show. Maybe there's a subject matter that comes up and we can bring it up and kind of have a chit-chat about it. So if you're interested, check it out on Facebook, the Overwhelmed Brain Empowerment Group. I hope to connect with you there. And when you join, you'll see that I've written some rules that I want to keep it a safe place, like a safe group to join so you're not being spammed to death with uh, quotes and graphics and things like that. 
Uh, I don't want that to be the the point of the group. I just want to be able to uh, connect. So check it out. And in closing, I want to um, maybe mention probably one of the most important lessons that I've learned in relationships when it comes to uh, keeping my relationship healthy. And uh, I did mention it already, but I'm going to mention it again because it's just vital and it has to do with being direct. Like my girlfriend was telling me, she knows someone that um, she couldn't figure out what drove her crazy about this person. And uh, just today after, I don't know, I think she was on the phone with her, uh, being on the phone with her after getting off the phone, she said, uh, I just figured out what drives me crazy about this person. And I was like, what? And she said, every time I talk to this person, she manipulates and throws in these little white lies. And I was like, what do you mean? And I don't want to tell you the exact conversation because it'll give away who it is and uh, that'll be uh, unpleasant for the person listening if if that person chose to tune in. But let's just say that my girlfriend asked about this person's car and I'm just going to call this person Joanne. And she said, Joanne, how's your car running today? And Joanne's like, my car's running great. And then my girlfriend says, okay, uh, do you want to take your car to lunch? And Joanne will go, oh, uh, yeah, we can take my car to lunch. But I should probably check the oil, check the engine light or something like that. And then my girlfriend would be like, oh, I'm sorry. I thought your car was running great. Oh, oh it is. It's, it's just having a little, there's something that's not, run, that's not right, but it still runs. And uh, my girlfriend's like, well, no, if your car's not running right, we'll take my car. It's not a big deal. And then Joanne would be like, no, no, it's fine. I, I want to go with you. I want to, I want to drive. I want to hang out. Let's, let's go have lunch. And my girlfriend's like, oh, okay, that, that sounds great. And so the conversation ended. And like I said, that's totally different than the conversation that took place. But in that conversation, I threw in, you know, a white lie. It's not really a lie. It's, it's you know, it could be like a, uh, a diversion or a deception or, or just something. It, it, you can almost see it as innocent. Yeah, my car is running great. You know, but that is, isn't very direct, is it? It's not very uh, honest. Even though it, I don't think it's like a dishonest thing. I don't think it's intentionally deceptive or dishonest. I think it's just not direct. It's just a strange thing. And my girlfriend noticed this time and time and time again with this person. And so uh, she told me, just that's what I've realized is that Joanne manipulates and deceives me into thinking things are fine or things are one way when they're not really that way. And it's not always about things are fine when they're not. It's just all these different little things. And I was like, oh, so when Joanne says one thing, she doesn't always mean it. She goes, right. My girlfriend could ask something like, like, how was the movie last night? And uh, Joanne would say, the movie was great. I loved it. And then uh, my girlfriend would be like, okay, tell me about it. Well, it started off slow, and then then the main character was a bad actor, and then there was a plot hole or two. And then when it ended, I left, you know, kind of with this sick feeling in my stomach that I paid $15 for a ticket. <laughs> And my girlfriend would be like, what? I thought you said it was a great movie. Well, yeah, I mean, it was it was great. It had good parts in it. And then you can see how that, again, just like, I don't know if it was a white lie or just there's something very indirect about it. And I have a feeling it, it, it has to do with um, people pleasing or something, not wanting to be confrontational, uh, you know, conflict avoidance. That might be what's happening, too. Just like, if I say everything's okay, then I don't have to talk about this conflict. And, you know, I get this. I, I think we all do this to a certain extent. I'm not saying that this is a dysfunction or a problem. It, I'm just saying that it drives my girlfriend crazy when people are so indirect. And I think that's why she uh, has kept me around. <laughs> because I'm very direct. I will say things that are on my mind. I will bring things up. And my girlfriend totally appreciates it. She loves it because she can do something with it. It's data she can use. And I found that directness has been the most beneficial uh, to our relationship's longevity. It has been the number one way to get to the next uh, phase in our relationship, to strengthen the bond in our relationship. Our directness gives us a straight shot to growth. I think that's the best way to say it. Whenever I've been indirect, like 
how you doing, honey? And I go, I'm doing fine. And I don't have the right expression on my face or it appears that I'm very tired or I'm not smiling. That's very indirect. I'm trying to placate her. I'm neutralizing an energy about me that I don't want her to see. And I never want to do that. Um, Sometimes I do. Sometimes it comes out because I don't want to talk about it. But then I will eventually, you know, go, oh, you're, you know, I said I was fine, but I can tell that I'm not. Or you can tell that I'm not or whatever. I try to be as direct as possible. I try to do what I can to make sure I'm honest. And that has been the best way to grow and evolve our relationship and our closeness. I don't know if every relationship can handle that type of directness. I just think it's a good thing to start practicing to find out how resilient your relationship is. That sounds a little weird, but um, what happens is you get a more authentic relationship because everything's out in the open. When those little things are hidden and you're steering your partner away from knowing the, the real truth, the whole truth, then that stuff builds up. And then there's these little white lies that are all sticking around underneath the surface and uh, it just starts other things like passive aggressiveness and unattributed anger, unattributed upset, and you don't know what to do with it because it's built up so much in so many ways that uh, nothing is concrete. It's just abstract. And you go through your relationship wondering what the heck is going on in this relationship. I don't like that feeling (laughs) and I don't want you to have that feeling. So this may or may not help you. Uh, The direct path may or may not be the way you go. I found it uh, extremely beneficial, like I said, and uh, maybe you will too. If you're listening with your partner, that might be something you can practice. Are you having a good day? Not really. This is what happened instead of, oh, I I had a great day. Nothing to talk about, (laughs) but I know it's not that uh, simple. So uh, what do you do? How do you practice this? Well, you keep your mind open so you can step into your power. And that'll allow you to be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing. Amazing.